Uh, well, or at least we made it to 2023, which was our mission all along. This is episode 100 woo-hoo. Of, woo-hoo, of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogated films previously described by others as masterpieces. I'm Nick, and I am joined as ever by Roger. Yeah. It's yeah, been good. that's been good. It's been good. It was a filmic odyssey from the uh, mid-70s, which just happened to be uh, where you caught up with me as I was watching my films through the years. As we watched films, um, one, sometimes two, sometimes more a year, uh, usually at least two, uh, that were considered masterpieces. By somebody. By somebody, some of which we agreed with, some of which we didn't. Uh, We often sort of alternated... Uh, more popular films with more artistic films. I, I suppose what we often did was alternate films that everyone said was masterpieces with films that we kind of wanted to watch and just <laughs> squeeze them in. Yeah, in, I mean, your, your your original brief was definitely films that were regarded as great or foundational or whatever that, for whatever reason, you hadn't seen. Yeah, And I, I will grant I have dragged in a, bun- a bunch of films that I love. <laughs> Not to their I, I don't think you resisted too hard. No, no. Well, this, uh, part of the reasons we uh, we do this, or, or I wanted to do it in the first place, was I do love the medium of film. And we thought, as as we've reached our destination, we have finally reached 2023, which we're not going to do because it's not over yet, or so we're not going to do 2023 yet because yeah, we're still we'll, in it. We'll, we'll come back at some point, particularly once we've seen uh, what, the, what critics and others thought were the films of the year exactly. for, yes, for us might. to pick, pick from. Well, there we go. That'll give us a, a choice. But at the minute, uh, we're still just halfway through. So we, we've reached our destination. We've reached 2023. We have some plans for the future. But we thought it'd be nice to have a sort of a, a more personal reflection on films. We, we talked in our other retrospective episode about the films we'd watched and our reflections on those. Uh, but I thought it'd be nice this time to have a, a, just a bit more of a personal discussion about what film meant to us and some of our memories growing up of films. Mm. Uh, uh, to that effect, we'd, we'd written a few questions that we thought we might um, uh, answer and see what see what anecdotes some thoughts came out of it. Does that sound acceptable, Roger? Mm. Personal <laughs> information. Not torture <laughs> about this. Don't worry, we're not giving it to Google. Of course we are, it's on the internet. They already know, Roger. They yes, know. yes. <laughs> so, yeah, what, 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 what is your first memory of, of film or, or of a trip to the cinema? Now, th- this may be an age-related thing, because for me, <laughs> um, a trip to the cinema was the first available option for seeing a film. It was the only available option for quite a while. So, That's a fair question. My first, my first personal memory of cinema, uh, this probably won't, be borne out by the facts of actual release dates and things. I'm horrified to think of it, but I have a memory of sitting in the cinema, um, and by the cinema, this was um, uh, they didn't have multiplexes back in those days. But I think it, there were two screens maybe in the old cinema um, where I used to, uh, where my parents took me. The first film I ever saw in the cinema was Never Say Never Again, um, and mm-hmm. I was probably six or seven. And my overriding memory is being bored and confused. It well, just... it, it does kind of rely on you knowing at least some of the Bond tropes, doesn't it? <laughs> it seems a strange film to have gone to scene, but I, I definitely remember. I may even have mixed up whether this is my first film or not, but certainly I remember just... I remember Sean Connery's face, (laughs) (laughs) but I remember it just feeling like an eternity. I couldn't tell you how long that film is, but to me, it feels like the longest film of all time. Um, (laughs) The the other film, uh, uh, the other main memory of being a very young child uh, would be going to see E.T., uh, which was probably not that far after seeing uh, Never Say Never Again, and having a very different experience and being absolutely devastated that I didn't have an E.T. to take home. Mm-hmm. That was a magical film. How about you? What's your first cinematic filmic memories? I can't be 100% sure, but it was it was certainly a Disney, and it was probably Snow White. All right, yes. Yeah. Um, being taken by parents. Um, the, the, the home cinema when, when I was little was the Ionic Golders Green. 
the, the, okay. the new Ionic, because the old one that actually had Ionic columns had, had been knocked down to build a supermarket, but one of the conditions was they had to keep the cinema on in the basement. So did it have any Ionic columns? No. It was just, no. So it, as, far as, as far as I was concerned, it was, you know, you, 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 there is this cinema-shaped hoarding, but, but you go in, you, you, and you check your ticket or buy your ticket, whatever, and, and then go downstairs. And that was what I assumed cinemas were. Okay, because, something, because yeah, single screen and it was in the basement. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it it, uh, it closed in I think ninety nine, and it's now just another chunk of Sainsbury's. Now, did you frequent it a lot? Were you a, a, an avid um, cinema goer? A bit. The thing is, because Golders Green was my nearest underground station, I was basically half an hour's train tri- train ride from central London. So by the time I got to um, seeing films on my, on my own account, I could get into central London nearly as easily and see something a bit newer. Because, yeah, w- when I started, but, and particularly the Ionic, I suspect may, may have had budget problems, but they, they would very often be showing older films for a few weeks, um, right, yeah. like, like your Disney's. Now, do you remember the kind of Star Wars behemoth hitting the country? Were you caught up in it? Yeah, and it was... That was one of one of the uh, things because it it did get to the Ionic, but it was something like a year later, mm. and everybody I knew had seen it multiple times. I had been told what happened multiple times. This is my memory of <laughs> early memory of cinema is them, yeah, this weird kind of transatlantic gap of a year or sometimes it always felt like longer. Than I, a year. It wasn't even that; it was other people I knew in the UK. I remember having um but, yeah. uh, Ghostbusters is the film I remember particularly with that and mm. Ghostbusters everyone was talking about everyone knew about it I didn't I had a very different film in my head uh, to what actually <laughs> rolled over the shores but by the time I actually got to see it um probably not in the cinema um it was a very different film it's brilliant but a very different film um so yeah first first film I remember taking myself to see Hmm. Was would probably have been eighty five or eighty six, and was Commando Schwarzenegger film. Oh, it's funny, I, uh, okay. which, which I still have an unreasonable love for. I have because never of that. seen Commando. It, it's not just because of that, because I think the second one was Cobra, the Stallone one, and that was just I was bored. So, oh really? <laughs> I remember these being like talks of the the playground when I was at um, secondary school. Um, the first film, it's in, funnily enough, is also an Arnie film. The first film I, uh, this comes back to some other memories that we'll come back on. The first film I took myself to see, uh, well, I want to say it was Terminator 2. I can't have been old enough, can I? Wasn't that an 18 or was it a 50? The Terminator. I'm, I'm sure we've passed the statute of limitations for, for any license violations at this point. <laughs> I have a feeling, yeah, I think now we mention it, I think maybe that was a bit, a bit of a dodgy. I, I may have been, may have been shady as a bit myself, but... Uh. <laughs> um, but that was much later. This was a multiplex by then. Um, this would be the uh, the Warner Village uh, in Manchester. Um, and it wasn't much of a village. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think Terminator 2 would be my, my film. But I'm a little bit younger than you, so probably similar sort of ages mm. um, for that. Okay, um, I'm going to move on to sort of uh, experiences of, of home films. Um, did you watch many films as a family, as a kid? Did you watch much at home? Not much. Um, most people I knew, um, that Golders Green may give a hint, um, m- most of the people I knew at school... Were, had a lot more money than I did. Right. Than, yes. than we did as a family. Um, yeah, every, pretty much everybody I knew had a video recorder before we yeah. did. Uh, I don't know where, how true that was in terms of the country as a whole, but it, it felt certainly by the time we got one as, as though, you know, th- this is a thing that other people are already getting bored with. <laughs> uh, right. Um, I, I remember we ta- I taped an awful lot of films off television. Yeah, oh yeah, I remember that was a thing. <laughs> I'd forgotten that that was a thing people even did, but yes. But bought a few, but I think mo- mostly it was taped. Now uh, my... we'll, we'll come back to how, how that affected things. but uh... <laughs> uh, we, we weren't a huge film-watching family together. Um, I do remember Christmas being a time, you know, this was a time when you couldn't instantly watch anything you wanted to watch um, 
straight away. How so did I remember, ever live? <laughs> I said, well, when Christmas schedules were like, oh my god, they're showing The Empire Strikes Back. That's mm-hmm. absolutely incredible. Um, so I remember Christmas being a big time of it. My uh, my parents got a VHS. Thankfully, not a Betamax. Yes, like, same here. Uh, I, I think by the by the time um, it was a consideration for us, Betamax was pretty much. Dead. I mean, okay, not technically dead. They did keep on making the things for for quite a while, but yeah, technically superior. I think as is often the way with these. No, um, in some respects, yes. In, in others, no. It, it did have higher definition because VHS was lower resolution than broadcast TV, but you would never have been able to get an eight-hour tape out of it. So yeah, I remember those uh, V V four twenties or whatever they were, and you could put it on double play, so you could actually get sixteen hours of stuff. It was awful; you could barely see it, but it was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I taped a whole season of the X Files, uh, and they deleted it because that would have been illegal to keep hold of it. <laughs> um, uh, my uh, my parents got a VHS. I still remember it, a silver top loader, um, and my mum. With it, she got a, not a free copy, she bought the Terminator. And because you weren't, you weren't renting it, you had to, buying it was actually ridiculous. It was a cost of 50 quid back mm. then to buy the Terminator. Um, uh, cause she'd been told it was a good film to watch, um, with your children. So one of my very early memories of VHS, in fact, the first film I ever watched was The Terminator. And I remember seeing the guy getting his heart ripped out by Arnold Schwarzenegger and, um, being a bit disturbed by it. A, 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 uh, a heartwarming age. story of a love that defies time. <laughs> it's, uh, well, it genuinely is. Um, but yeah, I, I was a bit disturbed. But I, I enjoyed it. We all loved the film. Then my mum went to the... I don't know, she went, it wasn't even a blockbuster back there. This was before blockbusters. She went back and said what would be good films. I think he had a bit of a sense of humour, this guy. What would be good films for my kids to watch? They like Star Wars. She came back with Blade Runner <laughs> and Death Race 2000. Um, neither of which are particularly suitable for a child. Um, uh, Blade Runner, she stopped after a few minutes because um, it was just too much for us. Um, so I never watched it for ages. Um, Death Race 2000, we watched for about 20 minutes before she decided this was probably a bit too much for us. <laughs> um, yeah, I... We we had well the, the, there was a succession of large video shops. The, the, there was the shop of doom um, in in the local shopping street. It was basically on on a corner, and clearly very expensive to rent. It was quite a large property as well, mm. and nobody stayed there more than about eight months. Oh, okay. They right. would always have a closing down sale and move out. Um, but what what one of those was, was a video was a large video shop, and that was quite fun. Um, our, our video shop stayed the same through my memory. It never became blockbuster. The the one I remember more though is is the little rubbish video shop, which was I, I think it had been a news agent. It was that sort of format, but it, but oh, all, right, yeah. all it did was was uh, sell, sell videos. They, they hadn't even got to the sophistication of selling you a bottle of Coke while you to watch while you watch the video. I remember uh, that being a revelation. Like there was a pack of Smarties and a <laughs> Coke to buy in the video shop. Was but but they. They clearly didn't have the budget of a blockbuster. There were all sorts of rip-off action garbage. Mm. There was some glorious rubbish there. I mean, I have Iron Eagle, Iron Eagle was made Iron for that Eagle. sort of show. I remember Iron Eagle. Yes, yeah. Uh, a, a quote from a fellow GURPS author, Peter Auto: A lesson for the movie renter in Japan. If the back of the DVD has ninjas, it's about ninjas. If the back of the DVD has ninjas and breasts, it's not really about ninjas. <laughs> and, um, and there were some of those too, but uh, yeah. yes, yeah, I remember scouring that. Yeah, every Saturday night, probably was Saturday night. So I'm scouring when uh, when my parents were off out somewhere. We would go down. They would give us some money to go and rent a video, and going from shelf to shelf and trying to find the least awful film to watch. <laughs> um, we did watch Life of Brian that way, which completely blew me away when we got it. Mm. Um, and my friend got it because he, uh, oh, it made me rent it because he insisted there were breasts in it. Uh, he was right, there were, but it wasn't quite, <laughs> quite not, not a lot of them. No, no, it was, um, he was very disappointed by it, but I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> and there, so any other memories of the video era? Not so much for me. I and mean, it, it was, this, yeah, I, I was still at my parents' place. Um, so yeah, when, when I moved out, I, I, um, I, oh, I haven't, I haven't had access to a television since it's, it's always been computer based. 
Well, that's lovely. That's a good idea. Well, I, I, um, when I went to student digs, I had a video. Uh, my parents got me a video recorder, I think, to go to um, university with, and a tiny little telly. Oh, um, here's here's a thing that dates me. I was a medical student in eighty nine ninety. We'll come back to that possibly, and I was the only person there who didn't have a telly. Really? And I was no. the only person there who did have a computer. <laughs> oh, I'm a few years later, and I had both. I'm afraid I was uh, obviously, uh, uh, obviously from a different social class. Um, but <laughs> I'm I'm very impressed with you that you had a computer. Did you have an internet connection? No, no. Yeah, well, nobody did in 1989, did they, really? Um, then we moved on. Uh, this is where I started to part ways, really, with... Um, well, no, that's not true. I had a lot of DVDs and Blu-rays when they came out. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time I actually got one out and watched one. Um, yeah. Um, I, as far as I'm concerned, the DVD era is not over. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> I, I have a bunch of DVDs. They, they are in a box in the loft, which is somewhere over there. Um Essentially, as license keys, in, in in case somebody has a look at my file server and says, "Oi, do you own a copy of that?" Okay, yeah, there you and go. And I will say, why, "Why, yes, it's it's up in the loft. Uh, avoid the great big chompy thing, you know." <laughs> if you wish to go up there at your own risk, I, uh, I I've was... never I've never owned a standalone DVD player. Uh, I, I, I don't think I've owned any blue. I, I I may in one of my computers have. The, the drive I put in to install from the installation CD, one of them may be a Blu-ray drive. I don't, I honestly don't know. <laughs> well, now this is, yeah, this is where things start to because by the time Blu-ray came around, uh, I wasn't going to do it. I had bought sort of my video collection again as DVD, and there seemed like a point to it. DVDs came with a load of extras that I actually enjoyed watching. You know, and and the quality was substantially better. It was it was really noticeably better. Um, and so it did seem worth rebuying this stuff. Um, and I used to listen to the, the commentary. My favourite, uh, my recommendation for anyone who ever does it, it's Spinal Tap. They do. I love Spinal Tap anyway, but they do a commentary of it in character, which is even funnier than the film. Uh, mm. So that is one of my favourite. That is one of the best DVD uh, commentaries I've heard. Um, First DVD I bought, Galaxy Quest. Oh, that was a good film. I, yes, I remember seeing that uh, the cinema. Um, I don't think he ever had it on DVD. It might well be on, on Prime. It, it has a Thermian language subtitle track. Oh, lovely. They could do little jokes like that on DVD. The Terminator films were all really well served on DVD. The Lord of the Rings films, um, unfortunately, the Lord of the Rings films, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't as much fan as I felt I should be, and then I watched the unexpurgated four hour versions of each one, um, mm. and listened to the commentary and really did overdose on them. To the point where I was like, okay, as well. I used to enjoy the commentary. I used to just have it on in the background. In the way now I have podcasts on, uh, in the way before DVDs, I probably would have had the radio on. Um, but that yeah, was my I mean, little it, it depends on the gap. commentary. Um, some, sometimes they'll, they'll go silent for a bit while, while action is happening, but sometimes they just talk continuously. In that case, yeah, I, I will quite often just take it out and strip it to an audio stream and, and have yeah. that as a podcast. So. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's uh, definitely rewarding in a lot. And some films I uh, that I really love, like Jaws, of course, I do really value the commentary. Track. But nowadays, you know, I don't really care about the the, <laughs> the, the commentary track. I, I, I think what, once it became an exp- yeah, yeah, a, a DVD in I don't know, say ninety nine two thousand of an older film, they, they're saying, okay, so it's been 10 years since you made this film, now we're releasing it on DVD, record a commentary. So it's, you know, how do you feel about it? How do you feel differently from the way you felt back in the day and so on? But I, I think with a more modern film, producing the DVD commentary has just been a requisite part of the production process. Yeah, and it lost some of its soul and interest at the time of that, I, I agree. And by I'm the not time... sure it's universal, but yeah. Well, frankly, I can't remember the last time I looked at DVD commentary or even thought about it. And by the time Blu-ray came around, again, the picture quality is better, but it is not the leap from VHS to DVD. It's not the super better, given that I don't have a super high-res screen. Well, you would need a huge screen, really, to, frankly, to notice a lot of it. Um, 
So I did. I did. There are, I have uh, like three films on Blu-ray. One of which is Blade Runner, which I put through my projector. So I did return to Blade Runner. It mm. does look bloody lovely. I'll give you that. But <laughs> I, the visuals of a film fade very quickly. To be honest, it looks good for the first few minutes. Then after that, if you're not enthralled by the story, then you're probably bored. And if you are enthralled by the story, then you don't care so much about the visuals. Or at least maybe not the fine detail. I mean, okay, it, it is nice to be able to say, here, here is this newspaper prop that, that, <laughs> that is on screen for three frames, and I can freeze frame it to look at it. Exactly. And you can pretend you're Deckard, because you can be like, enhanced 23 to 15. <laughs> <laughs> so it's worth it there. Um, the thing is, I think maybe the other one. Uh, unfortunately, I got it part of a box set, which also comes with the prequel, which is also really unhelpfully called The Thing. Mm-hmm. Um and is not a patch on the original thing, um, but that's one that I love the uh, the commentary on too. So now we're in the era of streaming, which we we may come to later. But I wanted to so go back to cinema. Mm. Uh, I I went through a phase uh, when I was a student. They had uh, I think it was Orange Wednesdays, but it was some special offer. I don't think it was Orange Wednesdays because we always seem to go on a Sunday. There's a two year period of my life which would be ninety eight ninety nine where we, uh, as a student household, saw every film. We, every week mm. we went to the cinema, and it didn't matter what was on. And I was not, I've never really done that before or since. Just go to the cinema, not for any film, but just to go to the cinema. So we ended up watching pretty much everything that came through, including Titanic, um, including uh, Existence. I can remember quite a few of these films. There was the re-release of The Exorcist, which was disappointing. Um <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a, there was a long period where I, I spent a lot of time in the cinema, and then yeah, done... I, I actually had a similar experience to that. Um, summer of eighty nine, uh, before I went off to fail medical school, okay. uh, I, I did a holiday job as a uh, theatre porter at uh, St Paul's Hospital, Covent Garden. Mm. So, it ba- basically, um, any, anything that so- somebody without formal skills training can be trusted to do, especially if it needs a bunch of strength. Uh, good, yes. Yeah, you know, wheeling patients on trolleys into and out of theatre, that kind of thing. Um, and so th- th- this was a specialised uh, genitourinary thing. So the the daily schedule was very uncertain. So you, okay. you you would get in in the morning and discover whether the, whether the operating day was going to end at two pm or eight pm. Okay. It, it was nominally a nine to five, but the hours averaged out, which, you know, fair enough for what I, for what I was doing at the time. Um, so very often on the early days that, as I say, this is Covent Garden, so it's a short walk over to Leicester Square, and I would very, I would very often go and see what was on and watch a film before going home. Uh, so yeah, it, it, that was an interest. We both have periods in our lives where it just became a, a thing to do in and of itself, um, rather than going to an event movie. Yeah. I, like like you, I don't remember what a lot of the films were. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure The Abyss would have been one of them. Ooh, I'm conflicted on The Abyss. It's just such a terrible ending, but it's a good film. Yeah, I, I do prefer The Extended on that, but I, I only saw that quite a lot later. Pretty sure that that was the summer uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade came out as well. Oh, I've happy memories of that. My nan actually took me to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and I... I was just the right age. Well, I don't, I don't know about it because I watched it again recently and I thought it was brilliant. But my nan loved it as well, and it's a really happy memory for me. Um, mm. what, watching it. Um, I, I yeah. didn't love it, but I don't think I've watched it since. Uh, quite possibly, if I do, I'll feel differently about it. Uh, it was it was a happy memory for me that one. Uh, which is it brings us neatly onto uh, the other question I had. What is your what's the greatest? It doesn't have to be the greatest film. Do you have a greatest cinema experience, or have you never had a transcendent experience in the cinema? Ooh. well, there was. Uh, let's see, it was when Star Trek Five came out. Um. And some, somebody I knew got together a bunch of mates to go to the all day marathon, which was basically Star Trek's one to four and then the, either the UK premiere or and a very early showing of five. Right. Yeah. So basically, you know, watch a film, go, go and have a loo break, buy some food, watch the next film. And by the time five started up, I was bludgeoned into Star Trek fandom by the previous four films. <laughs> and to be fair, I do like four a lot. 
four. Uh, four. You'd have to be pretty uh, inhuman not to at least. So, so I was in about as favourable a state as I could be for watching five, and I did moderately enjoy it. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a, that's an incredible that's an incredible cinema experience. My most mind blowing cinema experience uh, genuinely was. Now, this was in the period where we just went to see anything, so it was just like, oh, let's go for that one. Uh, the one we went for was Saving Private Ryan, which I'd heard nothing about. And mm-hmm. the opening salvo of that film, we were right at, we were right at the front in the middle. We didn't normally sit there because it's not, um, it's not conducive to neck pain, uh, if you're right at the front. Just that opening, I forget what it was, 20, 30 minutes, I had never seen or thought or experienced anything. This was before World War Two was like a, a cool war that everyone wanted to do. You know, this is the <laughs> film that made it a cool yeah. war. Um, it, it was just so visceral, so pounding. I, um, I have heard people who have also been in combat say that that section of the film is the closest they have had to the point that it was giving them dramatic flashbacks. It felt like it. To me. It felt like it was. Um, I wouldn't say enjoyed it, but so I was just like completely blown away by this experience. Um, and I suppose if I was trying to be cynical, I could then say, oh, and then it was ruined by the next two hours of the film. But I, to be honest, it won me over so much that I did I did enjoy the rest of the film. I think nowadays the rest of the film has got significant flaws, but it's not as bad as everyone... Well, don't, nobody says it's terrible, but it's, uh, <laughs> there is very little to match that opening sequence. Though even then, uh, Spielberg makes the, the like Panzer a, um, a bit like the Velociraptor in... Um, uh, Jurassic Park. You, 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 uh, sorry, more like the T Rex in Jurassic Park. It's just this monster. Um, but it's that was the the thing that blew my mind. The time I've been mostly uh, bought in, probably one of the well, I like to think that's probably not true, but one of the last times I absolutely bought into the hype um, machine that was being pumped into me was Jurassic Park. Was just um, mm. constantly being fed to us from a, a long long way away and I read the book and I was very excited uh, uh, and I saw that in the cinema I did really enjoy it but it, it did occur to me even then absorbing all this hype and getting very excited has actually lessened my experience of the film mm. compared to Saving Private Ryan which I knew nothing about and just absolutely blew my head off Yeah I mean there, there are probably some that, it, that it's a good idea to be prepared for um Next episode, we'll be, we'll be talking about Lovecraftian films again. Slight surprise, slight spoiler there. And for us, at least, we already know the underlying stories and that affects the way we see them. But yeah, I, th- I think in general, uh, mm, it, it's, it's good to go in without too much in the way of knowing what's going on. I think we try, when we know we're doing a film for Ribbon of Memes, we then, Try and avoid too much in the way of reading around it if we haven't seen it already. Yeah, I mean we've probably we've probably read a bit to, to have it suggested to us. Yeah, but, yeah. but try to avoid learning too much about it. And then, yeah, slightly embarrassing one for me: last films I saw at the cinema. Oh yes, um, because the, this was uh, by by this time I, I was actually saving my email, so I so I was able to pin down what it was. <laughs> Which is sadly 2002. Uh, oh my goodness, 21 years ago. Uh, so, Die Another Day and The Two Towers. Really? Okay, that is a, that's a while ago. Um, not not as a double bill. Now <laughs> I know I know you. <laughs> I know you didn't go and see Return of the King at the cinema. I haven't. I've still not seen the film. Oh, um, really? I was really unimpressed with the two towers, though. I mean, th- this was not the end of my love affair with film. It was the end of my love affair with cinemas. That's uh, a fair point. Just in- increasingly loud, but also badly mixed. So we've, we've got very loud music and effects, and then relatively quiet dialogue. So I, so, I, is... so I couldn't even just wear earplugs anymore, which was what I'd been doing before. That's an interesting point. And you are. Uh... A lot of people say. I, I read an article somewhere about. Uh, in fact, I think it was on a friend of the show, um, our flick philosopher uh, friend, um, who was talking about the lost art of making dialogue audible in films. Mm. And it did seem to be genuinely part of the problem. It's just it's a skill that's been lost, and um, also it's very hard to make films that work in every single cinema all over the the world. Um, and they're just too bombastic and too, and, and surround sound doesn't always 
uh, or the kind of crazy Dolby whatever they're doing just doesn't lend itself well to listening to dialogue all that. Also, there's been a general tendency, I think, to, to de-skilling the projectionist's job. So it's basically yes. slap the cartridge in the projector and, do, and press the button and do not touch or we'll take your fang- fingers off. Oh, they would hate that in cinema paradiso, but then he does burn the whole cinema down, so, you know, maybe they have a point. But when, but when the, something does go wrong, they may not, may well not be equipped to do anything about it. Or even be necessarily aware that something is wrong. Yeah. For me, if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, I can't remember what I would have said, but, um, uh, my partner and I went to see Indiana Jones 5 at the Everyman Cinema in the Royal William Yard. Um, I greatly enjoyed it, um, but uh, that's not, we're not here to discuss Indy Five. But I, we, we may well at some point. But yeah, we, not today. we may well at some point. But it was a, it was a very interesting cinema experience. So in the Everyman Cinema, which I gather is a chain, I thought it was just one. Um, there, there. there used to be one in Hampstead. I don't know if that was the first, but it, it was a mixture of um, a, a lot, quite a small place, quite a lot of arty films, but the, but the occasional big thing as well. Yeah, I'd definitely go back there. You sit in a sofa and they come and um, take your drinks order and bring them to you, um, which is great until you realise you're about to watch a two-plus-hour film and then you <laughs> drink in the first place. Um, uh, there's a funnel that... under your seat. <laughs> <laughs> if only. Um, okay, I, I have a, a sort of a more... Um, moving on from kind of the medium to sort of personal movie memories... Um, and this is a slight, I don't know if this applies to you at all, Roger, but I was thinking as I was tapping these out, have you got a film which isn't sort of a, ma- or, or any films that aren't quite masterpieces, or, but have either kind of followed you through your lives or been with you at an important point of your life or anything like that? Hmm. When Back to the Future came out, um, I saw it a lot. Mm. Uh, four or five times, I think. Really, uh, the the original one. Yeah, and I just, I just enjoyed it a lot, and it it it, um, it worked for me at the time. That's it. That reminds Look, me of yeah. a time when I did used to go back and watch films again. I don't think I'd bother to do that now, but I used to I used to do it a few times. Well, since I started um, reviewing everything I read, I've, I've very nearly stopped rereading. So. <laughs> Uh, One thing, we we were talking about uh, taping films off television, and because of occasional errors of timing, um, quite often, not okay, not very often, but once in a while one one would miss the start or end of something. It it, it had been delayed because of sport, or it had been brought out early because of something. So, uh, a couple of things, and Dreamscape, which is um, Dennis Quaid and Kate Capshaw. Um, sh- shortly yeah. after she did Temple of Doom, she's um, much better in Dreamscape than she is. <laughs> and and I missed most of the oh, I don't know the first half hour or so. Mm. So so I didn't get any of the explanation. I had to work it out, and that was quite fun. Yeah. Um, Trading Places, Eddie Murphy film. Um, Ooh, that again, would almost work for did, me as well. Yeah. Yeah, didn't get the setup. Just saw the main body of the film. That would be confusing without the setup. Yeah, confusing, but it, it meant there was a puzzle of working it out. And um, yeah. I was reminded when you mentioned Ghostbusters, I, th- I think I lost the first 15, 20 minutes of that. I had a similar experience. I know the last 20 minutes of Return of the Jedi offered because of a, a similar off-timing or some sport overrunning, which meant that my carefully timed Return of the Jedi film and completely failed, and then it wasn't on again for years and years. Um so I know that the throne room scene with Luke uh, uh, in Return of the Jedi, like, just to me, I can't watch it. Cause it's too, but the rest of the film seems completely new to me. <laughs> um, and I have, um, it's not completely, I have, I had a strange experience, actually. We, uh, My partner and I watched um, all the Indiana Jones films um, in the run up to Indiana Jones 5. I realised that I'd never seen an uncut version of the Temple of Doom. So there's a moment when uh, Mola Ram puts his hand into the chest of the victim. He forces his hand through, like, the sternum, actually into the chest cavity and pulls it, pulls his eye out. I'd never seen anything like that. It absolutely terrified me. Um, and this was only a few weeks ago. Similarly, there was a moment when Indiana Jones swears several times, and I'd never seen Indiana Jones swear in my life. Um, <laughs> I've forgotten what he said now, but it it, it shook me to my core. Cause he Indy's can't do that. that. He's a pulp hero. 
exactly. Um, it blew my mind. Um, as far as uh, films that have resonated throughout my life, in a similar way, I have, for various reasons in my life, caught the back end of two films several times and never saw the beginning, one of which was The Medusa Touch, which is a Richard Burton film um, where he is um, he's a writer, but he, he has a peculiar psychic power that basically anything he writes or thinks eventually towards the end of the film just happens um mm. he's an extreme pair of telekinesis um but i only ever caught the second half of it um and so this just it kept happening and every time it was on uh and i remember scaring the radio times i've got to see the beginning i've got to see the beginning every time it was on life conspired to make me miss the, <laughs> miss the first half so it was only until relatively late in life that i saw the first half um and I adore that film now, um, but it's still, it's, uh, I'm not sure it's a masterpiece. Similarly, there's a same thing happened with uh, Christopher Walken in um, The Dead Zone, which I have an unreasoning love for. Um, but a similar thing happened that I watched the second half and didn't, much like you really, I enjoyed the puzzle of working out what was going on. But in a way, what I imagined was happening didn't quite match uh, didn't mm. match up with what actually happened. And, and the reality never quite meshed perfectly. Um, all right. Uh, what did we have next? Uh, well, um, for, for, I, I know that I know people who have uh, comfort films that they will go go and watch when they when they're feeling low. I don't think there's anything really like that for me. Jaws would be my comfort film. Yeah. <laughs> I can't walk past Jaws without um, wanting to watch it or watch the rest of it or just sitting down. Um, yeah, I think that would be my film that uh, it will change. These films have changed over the time over the years, but currently. It is Jaws. Um, I, I can't imagine ever not wanting to watch Jaws. It's on at the open air cinema soon in Plymouth. So I'm very much hoping we get a chance to go and see it. Open air cinema. In, tell, tell me, it's on the coast. It's on. It's uh, not only is it on the coast. It's in the Lido, the open air <laughs> sea filled swimming pool. <laughs> you don't have to sit in the sea while you're watching it, um, which would probably be a lethal experience in Plymouth. <laughs> and no sharks would be involved. But well, it, it, it suddenly would... got warmer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank goodness! Um, all right, here's a, a personal question: Is there an actor or director or writer who you would seek out and watch their film, even if you knew? the film might not be any good or it's been badly reviewed. I would have said James Cameron until Titanic. Mm. But... I'm right there with you. Uh, and, and and then Avatar. I did watch Titanic yeah. and Avatar. And, um, yeah. Though, as as a result of watching things with Riven of Memes, the, the name I'm going to say here is Frances McDormand. Because... Oh, absolutely. She, yeah. she, uh, whenever she is in something, she makes it better. <laughs> That's absolutely yeah. I'm I'm going to go with you there. Um, for me, uh, this isn't an original idea, but I think Nicolas Cage probably does it for, me, for the actor. In, I'm, I'm um, certainly what, starting to feel that way. Yeah, yeah. He's he's there's, even when he's bad, he's very watchable. Um, as far as director, for me, it probably would be Hitchcock. I I'd be willing to try any Hitchcock film. I've I've uh, never really been a great fan though. Perhaps it's no. time I revisited them. Well, maybe we will in later episodes. I, it's always resonated well with me. Um, I would have said Spielberg, but he's done too many films that I, I didn't really go for. It's ne um, never really quite, I mean, I can see when he's doing it well, but he doesn't quite catch at me. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, Coen brothers as well, I think for me, have very rarely led me wrong. I know, I know they don't always, uh, suit you, but, um, I was very pleased how much you enjoyed Fargo. Yeah, I mean, I, the the dude dis, did disappoint me rather. That's it's a sh understandable, but it's a shame. But I I trust them. I have seen some films of theirs that weren't perfect, but they were still perfect for me. Um, do you have an opposite? Do you have even if you've heard it's an absolutely amazing film, would you avoid it because of a particular actor, director, or writer? Well, there there are some. Filmmakers who, whose style is just not mine. I mean, I don't think I will ever watch another Tarantino film deliberately, okay. but there, there is no, I mean, you know what you're getting with a Tarantino film. That's kind of the point. Yes. Yeah. He is. He's very, um, there, there, there's no attempt to deceive there. No. And you've got to appreciate that, haven't you? That's, uh, there's a, he's laid out his stakes as a, as an auteur and as a, 
and it's continued. He says he's only going to ever make one more film in the rest of his career. And it's going to be 168 hours long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another name which is kind of unfortunate in in career terms, uh, Ben Kingsley, who was great back in the day. It seems that every time I see his name on a thing, it's a rubbish thing, like like, <laughs> like M Night. Ah, uh, uh, I think as bringing up M Night, I would yeah having. Well, I'm always going to appreciate M Night because he did fool me in the sixth sense. I know no one else was fooled, but he did fool me. Uh, but more than anything, he made the happening, which is one of my <laughs> which is one of my favourite films ever. Because if you're gonna make the main villains of your film pot plants <laughs> then it's very hard to make them look menacing no matter how many crash zooms you do on a pot plant um, I think also um, when oh, whoops, I think it was after the last airbender um, his name came up on a trailer and was widely reported as people are groaning when they see the film but oh, then goodness. he did Glass, I think it was, and oh, yeah. my perception of that was, oh, okay, he he he's lost his old audience constituency and found a new one in people who like to see women being tortured, which is probably oh, unfair. Yeah. But that that there seems to be a lot of that in the film, and it's really not my thing. So, uh, well, certainly, um, uh, uh, certainly, torture porn is something. Uh, we'll we'll come on to um, genres later, but it's just not. Not for me. Um, there is a writer. I, oh, split. Uh, there, that was the, that was the one where where it was definitely being using a lot of torture porn. I, yeah, it doesn't. I I did. I didn't even enjoy Saw that much, but I do accept that that's quite a good film. Uh, the uh, the director I will actively avoid. I'm afraid. Uh, controversially, is Stanley Kubrick. I just I just. Um, bounce off his stuff. I just find it very cold. We watched Full Metal Jacket for Ribbon of Memes. Um, I do... It has that still that clinical... I hate to say clinical, because it doesn't really mean what it means to me in a professional context. (laughs) Competently (laughs) done, in other words. (laughs) uh, Yes, exactly. But uh, kind of cold, emotionless, distanced, passionless, which is strange, because the opening of Full Metal Jacket is, is not passionless. Uh, and I love the opening of Full Metal Jacket, but I just Kubrick and I, I just know I will never quite gel with. I do like Doctor Strange. Now I'm thinking of all the Kubrick films that I like, like <laughs> Doctor well, Strange. Love. The the the, the training's part of Full Metal Jacket I thought was great, yeah. and then it was let down by the rest of it. Um, yes, I've never seen The Shining, and I probably should. Uh, yeah, now I've remembered that that's quite good as well. But it's still, I, I yeah, they all well, have a. Clockwork Feel. Orange, okay, but... I don't really like Clockwork Orange. Um, D- didn't uh, love it. Uh, 2001, I did. Um, I, I don't like... I have that. patience for slow science fiction sometimes. Well, I do. I just hate the ending. <laughs> the giant space baby. I mm. don't know. If the film is and, designed... And Doctor Strange, love, all right. It, it, is, it is largely rescued by Peter Sellers, but it I does work. Say. Uh, Peter Sellers pulls it into watchable category for me because he's great in it, um, despite being having his own problems. But uh, oh, a horrible good. person by all accounts. But, uh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, all right, uh, let's move on to the podcast. Um, we've been doing it hundred episodes now. Mm. Uh, do you look at film differently to how you did when we started? I've. I'm getting some. I, I had a bit of a technical appreciation before. I think I've got more of one now. Just for you know, what what did what did it take to get that shot? At least in the era when you couldn't just make it up on a computer. Yes. Um, I, I'm definitely getting a, a lot more patience for slow and beautiful. I, I still like character driven, but the, I I will I, you know there are things that b- books casually do that films can't, and the thing that a film can do that a book can't is. Slow and slow and beautiful landscapes, people, whatever. Mm. It, but it does have to be beautiful, not just slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slow on its own is not that great. And beautiful and fast is uh, well, that's all right actually. Um, how do, do I look at film differently? Um, I, part of the reason I started the the film watching Odyssey, and part of the reason I wanted to see the podcast was to see 
if the f- I knew what films I liked, I knew what films had resonated throughout my life. But there were lots of films that people had uh, talked about, and I knew I hadn't seen them, and I didn't, in some ways, I didn't particularly fancy seeing them. But I wanted to see if I was missing some huge experience. Um, now it may be we've picked the wrong films, but broadly, the films that I really enjoyed as a kid um, or a young adult that we've revisited. I think have held up and are really good for the most part. Mostly, yeah. I, mean, I, I think there were more surprised me with how good it was or how much I enjoyed it in, in the first half, the first year of this than, than there have been in the second. Yes, I think that's fair enough. I, it seems to be a common experience for both of us that films that were really critically loved, we, we haven't loved, unequi- we have, probably haven't hated for the most part, but we haven't um, uncritically loved um, mm. and I don't feel like I would be missing things in my life if I hadn't seen them uh, but how do I look at film I, uh, do I look at film differently I'm, I'm horribly uh, reaching horribly close to the fact that maybe I've not changed at all after watching all these films um, well I, I think ju- just as once one has started writing one look, one reads books in a slightly different way I, th- I, yeah. I think we, we've started I, I, I may be completely wrong I may just be talking about myself but I, I, I think I'm starting to appreciate oh wow that must have been really hard to do not, yeah. in, a, not in a way that spoils my enjoyment of the shot but just that here is the, the voice in the back of my head giving me a, se- a separate strand of stuff to enjoy yeah in a way maybe it's better that it hasn't kind of completely made us feel like, oh, I don't want to watch another film. I still watch films that we don't watch for the podcast from Mm. time to time. Uh, Well, reasonably often. um, And I I am able to just enjoy them. Uh, Yeah, I I tell you what it has done. It's made me recognise colour cues a lot more than I used to. Oh, this is blue. I see. Okay. Yeah, once you start noticing that, it's really hard not to notice it. Um, right. Do we have any films that you? Um, are there any films that you'd like to revisit from the podcast that you didn't like or didn't appreciate, or do you feel like we, we've pronounced them? I don't think I've severely changed my opinion about anything since we watched it for the podcast. There, there have certainly been several I've I've reappraised for the podcast, and mm. the one that particularly strikes me is um, Dagon. Really, didn't stand up the way I remembered it. Yes, uh, I hadn't seen Dagon, but yeah, it's uh, I, I, there was a lot to like about Dagon, but we've done a whole podcast around that. But yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um, yeah, so it's interesting where the films that we initially liked and then we revisited and did. Um, I, I've mainly kept my opinion of a, of a lot of them. Though I, this is unrelated to the podcast and a bit related to Indiana Jones in that it's an Indiana Jones film. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised how much I disliked Temple of Doom this time round um, it's actually genuinely quite racist um, and uh, it's not boring and it's a wild ride but it, it, it's interesting that as a kid I was just sort of carried away with the excitement of it mm. but it, it feels unusual now a weird mix of horror and racism and just um I, I find it almost. much easier to appreciate something that was written or filmed in the 20s or 30s than something that was made in the 80s. I mean, I was around then. It can't yeah. have been that different. Oh, boy, it really was. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, that's, um, I think I have come to, and this, again, is a, wow, I shouldn't have watched Indiana Jones so, so close to this, but I, I have come to realise... Uh, you know, there's a lot of films that are just nostalgia hits and... Uh, aimed at me specifically because I'm a white guy who grew up in the 80s. Mm. There seems to be a lot of stuff aimed directly at me um, and that doesn't feel quite right to me and in a way, maybe we'll come on to it later, it, it seems reassuring in a way that these things aren't being as successful as they should be. There's a lot of people younger than me there should be stuff for them nowadays. Yeah, well, you 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 keep uh, laying down your laying down your money to go and see a film. So. Well, that's the thing, and then they see <laughs> it's all it your was. fault. <laughs> I'm part of the problem. Um, uh, on it, well, not quite related. Is there a preferred 
era that you would have we just touched on this is there a, or a genre that you would generally prefer to watch has that changed since we started the podcast i i, I well for era I, I i'm vaguely curious to see more american new wave which is kind of era and genre that was it that's where we sort of started the yeah. podcast wasn't it um though i if i were to sum up what i'm looking for in a film in in, in a sentence it would be explosions and kissing um i want the action scene i want action scenes but i want the action scenes to have emotional weight because i care about the people who are doing the action scenes not just oh look yeah here's what we can do with our rubber doll model it's incredible how often that is not not if you spent more time on the emotion then the action scene becomes more important the action itself is only to us i think is only relevant because you care about the people in it and if you don't, then you can make anything happen on a screen in front of you, and it's, it's not going to stir the emotions. Uh, I, I think I've talked before about the, the, particularly when I was watching trailers, which we'll come back to, um, the trailer that just doesn't bother to try to get me in sympathy with the protagonist, who 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 is a grunty macho guy who beats people up, and it's just assumed that well, he's 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 in the in the spot in the in the trailer where the protagonist lives, therefore. You will like him, and and there are films that do the same. They just never bought in that 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 famous terrible screenwriting book, Save the Cat, does at yes. least make the point that you need to get the audience thinking this is this is the guy I care about. He's a good guy. Yeah, it, I mean, the, I have seen we have seen a number of Save the Cat moments in uh, Ribbon of Memes. Save the Goldfish do. in in uh, Dark City. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, or give the kid the money in Cinema Paradiso is the other one. Uh, <laughs> to mind. Um, my preferred era for films, uh, maybe it's because we haven't watched many for the podcast. I do love 40s black and white American mm. films, um, uh, film noir or Frank Capra. Um, uh, we've talked about a few. Well, we talked about Casablanca. I'd like to revisit some more, but I, I feel yeah, definitely comfortable and happy there. Um, uh, 80s sci-fi are probably kind of overdosed with a bit and it's a bit too schmaltzy for me now my <laughs> preferred genre it's probably going to be the same as any genre as any in any part of life science fiction would always be my true love i think and a well done science fiction story that asks questions and explores a world uh i don't think there's many parallels to that mm. you know, i think that will always be my favorite um but there, there are they're few and far between in film. Uh, is there a genre, genre or era you will actively avoid? Uh, era, not really. Um, what does irk me is anything by the numbers. You know, the generic rom com, the generic sci fi action, or the generic superhero beat 'em up. Um, yeah. I've, I've, I've recently stopped doing this. I was um, watching various YouTube trailer feeds. <laughs> And uh, po- posting to my blog quick summaries each month of you know this this looks interesting this doesn't look interesting, but the the thing I very much got from that was what what the trailer is doing is saying this film is genre X you like genre X this film is just like that so you will enjoy it okay yeah which, which puts me off because what I want to hear is this film is genre X I have you know ten genre X films in in my collection already. Which I can watch right now if I feel like it. Why should I watch this one instead? What, what's you better are... about it? Okay, yeah. That, whereas they've gone through the. Um, I wonder if AIs will make trailers soon because they they do seem very generic the way they. Oh, we we we've been joking about the scriptomatic two thousand since well the year two thousand. So. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know that I really watched trailers. I re- oh, goodness me, I, if I can mention Indiana Jones once more in this podcast, I'll be very happy. But, um, <laughs> I, I, there was a trailer for the new Mission Impossible film, um, and there was a very specific moment when I felt my interest just dissipate. Apparently, it's quite good, but there's a moment when the title came down. It said Mission Impossible. It didn't even say seven because it gets embarrassing when you start saying seven or eight or nine or ten in a film. I, I think they deliberately don't put numbers in, in part because they don't want people to think, "Oh well, I haven't seen one, two, and three, so I shouldn't go and see four. Um. But the moment, I forget the name of Mission Impossible, let's call it um, Deadly Impact, because I can't remember the actual name. <laughs> it said like, Mission Impossible, Deadly Impact, 
and then at the bottom with another thought it was like part one and, then, <laughs> and then I just immediately any interest I'd had in the whole film just evaporated um, I, I, yeah, I, th- I th- that that was a thing you know with the Lord of the Rings and the Harry Potter and well the Hunger Games yeah they did it and the uh, Hobbits. I, th- I think with the Hobbits, ev- pretty much everybody agreed. No, this was just too much. It was, yeah, it was too long. Yeah. Um. Okay. Now, is there a film that you'd really well? I don't, I'm not sure that we need to ask that one. Actually, I was going to ask: Is there a film that you'd really like to watch in the context of the podcast? Um, I am I think... curious because I haven't seen it for several years. Uh, the one I mentioned earlier, Commando. I'm I'm definitely game for watching Commando. Maybe we should let's let's devote a podcast. Do you think it would survive, su- support a whole podcast? Maybe two or three early Arnies. Okay, well, early Arnies is a theme. I, I like the idea of which um, which brings us neatly on to our, our final tranche of questions. Um, I wanted a little discussion about the future. So we're we're in the a slightly unusual confluence of that. Now, cinema's always been over. It's been over since the 50s in television, I guess, or the, the 60s in television. Um, it feels now like there's been, um, <clears throat> to me, like we've had COVID. Uh, we've had uh, the um, the economy. We have um, streaming. We have uh, TV has got sort of a lot, lot better. It feels to me increasingly like cinema's kind of got over the the TV in the sense that TV quality wasn't that great ultimately and they updated cinemas and made them a more fun place. I feel like there's come a point where cinemas can't really do anything more. I've been to 4D cinemas where they throw you about. It gets really tiresome (laughs) after a while. Um, I've been to ones where, as I say, they bring you drinks. I've been to... um, uh, you know, ones where they blow air at you and throw water on you while you're trying to. Um, uh, I've been to 3D. I watched Avatar in 3D. Um, I suppose my question is: Is there somewhere else for cinema to go? Is it over? You haven't personally been to the cinema for two decades or more. What What would draw you back to the cinema? You make it sounds like cin- a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Honestly, better sound mixing. That was the main thing. I mean, there were other things that were minor annoyances, but it it was the fact that I couldn't enjoy listening to the film. And my my, my hearing has been tested routinely. There is nothing weird about it. Yeah. Um, That that was the thing that put me off. That may have changed, but nobody's announced that it's changed. I I wonder if it has got better, but uh, I haven't noticed it. And yeah, cinema has been dying. Bingo halls became cinemas, then cinemas became supermarkets, as you're saying. Mm. Um, I don't know. I I think the the, the thing you're saying, the everyman, the, the canonical example for me is the Alamo Drafthouse uh, chain in San Antonio, where they yeah they they have actual nice food and drink rather than cheap nasty. Um, yeah. They have comfortable seats. They have trained projectionists, and they do do a lot of stuff actually on film still. Uh, they have a code of conduct, and they will throw you out if you talk or use your phone during the film. Yeah, okay, this all sounds familiar. So what, what I'm thinking of is, is that sort of boutique cinema that is not trying to, you know, cram in everybody to see the latest blockbuster, but it's saying, okay, so you actually care about film, and maybe you pay a bit more to see the film in the right context and the right environment. So it sounds like cinema is becoming more of a, a, a niche well, that, that's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that will happen. I'm saying that's a thing that I think could happen. Well, that's a related question. You know, recently, um, a lot of much-touted blockbusters have not... Uh, Hollywood seems to have got itself in a position where a, a film has to earn, you know, upwards of a billion to be a success. Mm. And I, I wonder if that's part of the problem. But people are talking now about our... Oh, Blockbusters finished. Uh, I heard. I saw one article recently. Is Tom Cruise the last movie star standing? Certainly, I'm going to mention it again. Indy Five has done pretty badly at the box office because it, or it hasn't done badly, but it needs to earn, you know, 750 million plus to be a success. I think to some extent it's tax dodges all the way down. I, you can't completely rely on any, any of the published numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. There, there's a sort of two-phase structure I see in Hollywood. There is the 
this is big, let us imitate it until people stop paying for it. Yeah. So, yeah, we saw that with fantasy after Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. We saw that with superheroes after Marvel, science fiction after Star Wars and Alien. Yeah. And then then the other strand is the I will do something experimental. And, you know, maybe 80% of the time it just does okay or it's a bit of a flop. And then the 20% it's this is the next big thing and then everybody will mind that. And then everyone does that again. Yes. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I wonder if there is less ability to do the experimental because it is so much financially constrained these days. Um, by, by which I mean the people putting up the money want a lot of say and they, they want the, the keywords that will bring in the audience response. They want the stars that will bring in the audience response. Yeah. I, I don't know that stars are, I, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's a fair point. I, uh, for me, I suppose the pandemic has put a lot of people going off the cinema and, and perhaps they realize now we're at home. I don't, it's actually much more pleasant to be able to just get out and go to the toilet. Um, the, uh, the thing I would like to see, I don't know if anybody's trying this and to do it legally would be, would fall over all sorts of copyright things, but either a film club for people in a particular area and, you know, somebody plays it at home on the, on their big screen or projector hmm. or some kind of shared streaming, not, not because I want to be chattering during the film, but because you've got that shared emotion and, you know, the the thing happens and everybody gasps and I I don't know about you when I'm watching a comedy on my own I very rarely laugh out loud whereas if I'm watching yes. with friends I probably will. That doesn't mean you don't find it funny, but there's something about being on your own that it just kind of internally registers. This yeah. is funny. So if if there was some way of saying, all right, you know, a whole bunch of us will will stream this at the same time and keep it synchronised, which is the hard bit. Uh, yeah, um, and yeah. I, I have done some synchronized watch alongs, um, where it was basically every 20 minutes or so, we, we will, um, play a bit of dialogue so that you can make sure you're in the right, at the right place on your personal copy of the film. So I have done with, uh, with Fran, and again with my partner when she was living in, um, uh, another continent, and uh, we used to watch films together. Uh, yeah, there, there is something fun about a communal watch, and I, I do, that's it. It's good to bring up, because there is something about the cinema, um, something about everyone gasping and being shocked, or even if it's a terrible film, everyone laughing or sighing at the same moment. There, mm. there is something nice about that um, that I do think we're missing in our age. I, again, I've said it before on Ribbon and Memes, a lot of the films we watch, I watch on my phone, um, and <laughs> it's a pretty lonely experience, uh, which I don't mind. But uh, yeah, there is something about that communal experience of film watching. Yeah, I, I do have a projector here, but mostly I've been watching on laptop or other screen. I, similarly, I have a projector. But it's very rare that I, I kind of crank it out and put anything on it. The last mm. time I put on it was the Blu-ray of Blade Runner, which did look very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, wonder, I do also wonder, because of streaming, I, I wonder if there's an element of people being like, oh, that film sounds good, but it'll be on streaming and I already subscribe to this service. Well, I, I think for, for um, TV, we, we've got a big, big uh, crash of streaming platforms because you know e each TV producer wants their own streaming channel and each of them wants to sell you the one thing you want and 17 other things that you don't. Yeah. And yeah. I, I know a lot of people who have just said, well, you know, it was nice while it lasted, but I'm just not going to bother getting Paramount just for Star Trek. Exactly. Even yeah, though I, I like Star Trek, it's too much for just that when I'm paying for three other things this. as well. Yeah. I well, I personally, I have three stream. I would only have one or two probably if I didn't have the kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there we are. The the other thing, and I, I don't know, I suspect this is more a UK than a US thing. Um, cinemas need space, and space is always at a premium in the UK. Mm. So. I suspect even even more than there, there, there there's more of a tendency to I, either to go somewhere where, where the land is relatively cheap, like the out of town centre, or just shut down the cinema completely. And you know, there are large areas where you, there isn't a cinema in convenient range. Yes, I I think I I can't quite see the multiplex surviving in the way it used to, because I don't think the blockbusters are kind of bringing in the people that they expect. Uh, I do think that's partly a problem we've touched on, that they're, they're targeting people like us. Um, people <laughs> like us are, are more comfortable at home, I guess, nowadays. I, 
<coughs> now now that kid, you can have something, you could have an average cinematic experience at home really yeah. quite easily with, without going to great expense. And you can, and if you're prepared to put the effort in, uh, you can have a really quite good one. Yes. So, yeah. Whereas when I was a kid, there was nothing like it at home. And it was a bit of an escape from home and your parents mm. and felt a bit daring and exciting. But if you're targeting your price point, you know, at middle-aged, well-to-do people, or you're targeting your films at uh, people who watched things 30 years ago and might want to go and watch it again, I think that might be a problem with Hollywood. You certainly got that feeling with uh, with the Blade Runner sequel, yeah. Well, there we are. I, I think that's uh, that's... That's what we wanted to talk about—a bit more of a personal feelings of film. So, what 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 of the future now? Now that we've uh, achieved our primary mission, yes. Uh, now that twenty twenty three has come, but not gone, uh, we have some ideas. We have some thoughts. Um, in fact, we've already started some of them. Um, we uh, well, one idea was we're going to have a themed episode where uh, a bit like our. Um, previous Lovecraft in the episodes or film noir episodes where we watch a few representative films um, and we've got some ideas about that and and the other is to go back to the earlier films that were generally regarded as masterpieces or at least critical darlings and I mean we we watched Casablanca and it was great oh yes so, <laughs> um, so there may be other classics along those lines on the way and, and I guess the idea is to alternate between those um, roughly and see how we go. I mean, for example, I've, as I say, I've, I've seen very few Hitchcock and it was a long time ago. So I'm, I'm interested to try that again with, with my current film watching head. And see how I'd that certainly goes. like to discuss some Hitchcock. I, I worry, it's been a while actually since I sat down and watched the Hitchcock. <laughs> so th- those sort of ideas are going around here, but we are also open to, at this point, now we're no longer constrained by our, um, year by year pattern we're open to suggestions of films that may be um worth discussing may hold up discussion we don't necessarily have to love them but they have to be i think they do have to be thought at least by some people as masterpieces or at least uh, vaguely masterpieces um or even we would open we'd be open to so bad it's amazing um, in fact, I quite like to watch a few. So bad, it's amazing. we have done Plan Nine after all. We have done Plan Nine. I I would like to make a case for the happening. Um, <laughs> I just oh, that is my you favorite. You can talk me into it. <laughs> uh, um, but yes, if anyone has any suggestions, um, that feel free to contact us. Um, yeah, so yeah, uh, leave a comment on the website's the easiest way. Yes. And there we are. That will draw our centenary to a close. Wow! Uh, wow, we made it a hundred episodes, and still we still don't hate film. So that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good sign. Uh, we will be back um, fairly shortly with the first of our themed episodes, um, and then we'll we will take it from there. Uh, and I would like to say so long. Thank you, Roger. Uh, uh, Thank you. I, I would not have thought of doing this, and it's been great fun. <laughs> uh, ditto, except I did think of doing this but it, <laughs> but it was great fun regardless thank you very much and see you soon